crew this morning. I think Greg was right. You guys must have broken out the boats to get here. Although it really wasn't that bad here. You might have had to if you were in northern Colorado, but thanks for coming this morning. Glad you're here. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors. So this morning, we're doing part two of Taming the Money Monster. John started off last week. He went for a while. But it was really good. But that's all right. I'm not. I'm gonna try not to go that long because I am a pastor here, and you all would probably hang me if I, I went that long again. So I'll try and be shorter. I'm not giving any guarantees. I guarantee I will get you to the Broncos game by two. That that I will guarantee. All right. So this morning, part two: things about money you don't want to learn the hard way. This morning, we're gonna kind of look at debt. A lot of what debt. Bible has to say about debt and what that looks like in our lives, what it looks like in our culture, um, and, and hopefully, not your life, hopefully this is some of these examples aren't you, but I know it's the reality, it's the reality of our world, and some of us do have debt, and so we're going to look at what God has to say about that. Um, crazy world, crazy world we live in, we see that this week even, just with the rain, this is not normal. Um, I've heard some people say it's a hundred year or even a thousand year flood, we don't get them. Often we don't see this much rain. I work in Boulder, so I made it there both days this week. I only had to drive through a river once, and there were cops on both sides, so I figured it was safe. I didn't figure they were sending us to our deaths if they were letting us drive through there, so I figured it was safe, but it, it was all right. I, I'll tell you what, though, on Friday, no one went to work except me. The commute was amazing. It's the best commute I've had in five years driving from here to Boulder. It took me like 23 minutes to get from my door to my office. I, I can never make it that fast. So maybe it should rain more like this, just not flood people's houses, and I could get to work quick. <laughs> um, it, it does show, though, when we, we look at the flooding and we see the destruction that's happening, we do see just how much we love our possessions, how much we love the things we have, the things that we've spent money to buy. Um, money and morality, I think, are the two biggest areas in our world where our world's going the wrong way. It's all about money and morality in our world. Those are the two areas, I think those are the two biggest. When we see our culture kind of going downward, those are the two areas that we fail in the most. Uh, our, countries is, our country is one of the most affluent countries in the world. It really is. We have everything we could need, everything we could really want most of the time. We don't go hungry, like Jeremy was saying. We don't know, we don't know what that means here in our country. We don't go days or weeks without food. It's not that way in the rest of our world. We have a lot of money in our, our country. A lot of us, we're blessed. We have a lot of things. Um, things that we don't need. And that's the reality of it. But our culture tells us we do. Our culture tells us we, you need those things. You need those things. And so we have to fight against that. Last week, John started and, and he read this commitment. He had to sign a commitment. If you didn't get one of these from last week, there are some more left back there on the table. Feel free to grab one. But I'm just going to read this commitment to you before we jump in and get started. We signed this. It's something that you can take and sign again if you missed last week. But it says this. It says, God, I know there is nothing on this earth that I should trust to care for me or give me a sense of who I am or bring real happiness and joy into my life. But I acknowledge I am often tempted to believe that money can provide those things for me. On this day I proclaim that I trust you, the living God, and not money, to protect and provide for me. You are my security. You have warned me that I cannot love both you and money. God, I choose you. My heart is given to you who died for me. I want to live my life and end my life serving you and not money. Thank you that you are all I need for what is in my past, my present, and my future. 
In that sense, you spoke of in Luke 16, from this day forward, you are my master, my protector, my provider. By your grace, my money will be your servant through me. Jeff Weeman in the day. Again, think about that. Think about your commitment to God. Where, where is it? Is money the thing that's going to take care of you? Is money going to be the thing to the end of your life? Or is it God? Is God going to take care of you? Where's your mind on that? Being able to manage our money is, is one of the first steps. One of the first steps in growing up. Growing up and being mature. Here's this verse here uh, uh, from, that Jesus said out of Luke 16, verses 10 and 11. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you can't be trusted with the little things, how are you going to be trusted with the big things? Let's pray and ask God to bless our time here this morning. Well, God, we do thank you for this morning. God, we thank you that you've brought us all here. God, we thank you that you're in control. God, we thank you that you know everything, that you're all-knowing. God, we thank you for that. God, we pray that this morning we could get a, your glimpse on money. God, a your glimpse of what our thought on money should be and where we should be and debt and, and what it means and all these different things. It just kind of makes our head swim sometimes because we're in this culture where it's all about wealth. It's all about having the next best thing. It's all about status symbols and all these things. God, help us. Help us to look at you when we're looking for the definition of what it means to, and what we should do with our money, help us look to you and you only. Not let the world creep in and scare us or make us do things that are, are foolish. God, help us to trust you and you alone. God, I pray that it would, you would just speak through me mightily this morning. Help me to just clearly communicate what you want shared this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to jump right in. So there's three plans that we can have for financial management. Three major plans that we can have. The first one is that I'm doing my part for the economy plan. I'm doing my part for the economy. Have you heard people tell you that? I'm doing my part for the economy. That's what you always hear in the newspapers even. You need to go out and buy things because that's what's going to make the economy be better. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. Yes, that's, that's partially true. So the, I'm doing my part for the economy plan. I only buy what I really want. Want is the blank there. You only buy what you really want. All right. Only what you really want. Man, that's a lot of stuff. <laughs> if you're like me, I wouldn't even have a house big enough to put it all in. That's for sure. If you really want. That's what the world's perspective is, though. They buy what they want. It's not a need. They, they buy that 60-inch TV that takes up the whole wall. Because then they have the coolest place to go watch football, right? Um, they have the nicest cars. They have whatever. It's, it's always that next best thing. And the, you know what the funny thing is? Is you get that 60-inch TV. Now you want something bigger. Now i got to go buy a house that has a bigger room so I can put a bigger TV in it. <laughs> right? That's, that's where it goes. It never ends. It's the never-ending cycle. I like this uh, comic strip from Calvin and Hobbes. See it there? Hopefully you can read it. If not, I'll read it to you. But in that first thing, he says, Getting is better than having. When you get something, it's new and exciting. When you have something, you take it for granted, and it's boring. But everything you get turns into something you have, Hobbes says there. That's why you always need to get new things, right? That's smart logic there. I feel like I'm in some stockholder's dream. <laughs> Waste and want, that's my motto. <laughs> Waste and want, that's true. That's kind of our culture. That's the, the thought we have towards money. Here, on the other hand, is God's perspective when it comes to these things. Here's a couple verses. Proverbs 21, 17. He who loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and oil will never be rich. 
Death and destruction, this is the next verse, Proverbs 27, 20. Death and destruction are never satisfied, and neither are the eyes of man. Our eyes are never satisfied. We always want the next best thing. So that's the first one. I only buy what I really want. So the next plan for financial management we might have is the mall trip guilt trip. The mall trip guilt trip plan. I only buy what I really need. I only buy what you really need. Alright, so there's two perspectives. What I really want, what I really need. But do what you really need. Is that really what you need? Or is it, I need that to make my guilt go away because I bought too much stuff before. Right? That's kind of the thought. How do, you, how do you make those coincide? The funny thing about those first two perspectives, and it's, it's where we feel comfortable. They have to do with where we feel comfortable. It's all about me. It's all about myself. It's selfish. It's ultimate selfishness. What do I need? What do I want? Right? It's not about anybody else. It's about ourselves. So let's look at another verse here in 1 Timothy 6-7. I don't think I have this one up there. but For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. That's a good thing to remember. We brought nothing into the world and we're not going to take anything with us. Have that perspective. That helps you get off yourself to not be so selfish. Number three, the third one, and this is the freedom and peace of mind plan. I only buy what I can afford. What I can afford is the blank there. This rests on a basic premise that God will provide the means for every material thing I need for a happy life. Is that where you're at? Is that what you trust? Is that what you believe? Do you believe that God's going to take care of every material thing you're going to need to make you happy in life? Do you believe that or are you still believing, oh, I need a little more, I want a little more? Here's some verses on that. 1 Timothy 6.17 says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I like that. Everything for our enjoyment. He provides it for our enjoyment. He gives us things for our enjoyment. He provides them. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He gave us his son. And we don't think that he's going to give us the things we need to be happy. We have to remember that. We have to remember that truth. Proverbs 10:22. It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. God's blessing is what makes you rich. So here's another, uh, another thought here. Contentment comes from knowing the very best life for me is found within the boundaries God has given me. God gives us boundaries. God gives us financial boundaries. He gives us all kinds of boundaries in our lives. God says no sometimes. God says no. And that's because it's the best thing for us at that time. It's the thing that He needs to tell us to help us to grow. To help us in some area, whether it's something we really want, and He says no. And so we go, alright, I need to be content here. I need to trust God here. Without giving us the answer no, we wouldn't have any boundaries at all in our lives. We'd just be kind of crazy. We'd be running around, buying whatever we want, doing whatever we do, whatever we want to do, whether that's good for us or bad for us. That's where it would go if God didn't end up saying no. And that's that would destroy our lives. It ultimately would. We'd end up falling into sin in different areas because we just had no boundaries. That's kind of what's happening a lot in our world today, if we notice it, with our kids and our young adults. They just don't have any boundaries. They think they can do anything. They think they're all powerful and they're never going to get in trouble and they can do anything and it's, it's okay. We need to have boundaries. Parents, those of you who have parents like, or those of you who are parents like me and have kids, you know you tell your kids no a lot. <laughs> no, 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 no. We say it a lot and we say it to protect them, to give them boundaries, to help them be fruitful, to help them be successful. That's why we say no, and God says the same thing to us. So a couple things about boundaries that they do. The first thing is those boundaries bring out the very best in me. 
It means the blank. Those boundaries bring out the very best in us. We have to trust that. We have to trust that God gives us those boundaries to help us, to be the best for us. The next thing those boundaries do is they let us see, let me see, God's unique provision for me. It lets us see, hey, God's got this plan over here for you. It may not be the same as your friend. It may not be the same as your family, whoever. But He's got something unique for you. He's got a unique set of boundaries set up for you to make you successful, to bring out every little bit of your strength that He can. Those boundaries also keep you safe. That's the last part there. They keep you safe. God protects you. He doesn't want the devil to get in your life. He doesn't want your life to be destroyed. He, he sets those boundaries to keep you safe, to keep you fruitful for Him. Here's a, a verse here. Proverbs 30, 7-9 says this, Two things I asked of you. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want and steal and profane the name of my God. So he gives us those boundaries. Because if we had everything we wanted, we'd think it was all about us, right? It was all about me. I did this. I made this money. I have all these things. I did this. No, no. <laughs> That's not the right perspective. God is blessing you there. God is taking care of you. It's all about Him. He is providing for you. And, and He doesn't want us to get in that mindset of that we can do it all, that we're self-sufficient. So there's those boundaries there, and He takes care of us. Next thought, I honor God, honors the blank, when I'm content in what He gives me. Here's a verse here in Psalm 16, 5 and 6. It says, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You support my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Indeed, my heritage is beautiful. Do you, when you're content, it honors God. When you're content with what He's given you, it honors Him. It shows Him honor. You're saying, hey, man, God, what you've given me is amazing, and you're praising Him for that. I'm content with this. I don't need more. You've given me exactly what I need. And you, you praise Him. It just gives Him tons of glory. And remember that that question there, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant, pleasant places. Can you say that about your finances today? Can you look at your finances, break out your bank statements, your checkbook? Can you look at that and go, man, God has blessed me. My, my, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places when it comes to my finances. If not... If you look at it and go, oh man, wow, where, where am I going to get this money to pay for this? What's going on here? You probably don't have the right perspective on your finances. You're not looking at it as God would look at it. And you need to seek God in prayer about it. You need to seek Him in it and seek Him about your finances. Seek Him about your attitude towards your finances. That can be the bigger one. What's your attitude towards your finances? It isn't what your finances are at right now, but what's your attitude towards them? Are you trusting God with them? Or are you working a ton and every day you get home and you look at your bank and you're like, oh, it's the same. <laughs> oh man, it's worse this month. Is that, is that what you're worrying about? Or are you trusting God and going, God, take care of this. Help me. Help me be good. Help me trust you. Help me be efficient here. Alright, the next section here. How do I know what I can afford? This is a big one. This is a very big one. I know what I can afford when I have defined and prioritized my financial commitments. This is the big scary word out there called a budget. <laughs> Do you have a budget? Have you looked through and defined and prioritized everything that comes out month to month, whether it's utilities, a rent, a mortgage payment, whatever it is? Do you know what those are? Have you sat down and defined those and walked through those? You can pretty much simplify them down into these six categories. And, and it has to do with three areas. It's your present responsibilities and your present desires. You can look at them in that way. 
your short-term future responsibilities, your short-term desires, and your long-term future responsibilities and your long-term desires. Those of you who took the FPU class this last spring, we're talking about your gazelle budget here. The fast budget. You know, what you need to get by. Do you have it defined down to that? Do you have it figured out so that you can stick to it? Or do you just kind of every month go, hit the end of the month and go, $2 left, yes. <laughs> or, oh no, I'm negative 300 this month. I can't spend as much next month. Where, where are you at? Do you know where are you at? Why do we have to plan for those things? Why do we plan for the present and then the short term and the long term? Why do we do it? Because things are going to break. Things are going to break. Your house, something's going to break on your house. Your car is going to break down on you and you're going to have to spend that extra $1,000 you weren't planning on. So you have to look at that short term in the future. You have to look at long term in the future. We're not always going to be young like me. <laughs> I'm not so young anymore. It's getting old. It's, it's kind of crazy. It's moving along. But you're not always going to be young. Someday down the road, you're not going to be able to work. Have you thought about that? Have you planned for that? Have you gone, okay, I'm saving a little money? Or are you just kind of going, somebody will take care of me? <laughs> right? The government is going to take care of me. <laughs> it's probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to happen. You have to plan for it. You have to save. You have to save for those things that fit, to fix when they break. You have to save for your future when you're not able to work as much or um, make as much money as you do now. You have to save for those things. The average American today saves hardly anything. Almost every American in our country lives paycheck to paycheck. They don't even have a savings account. That's the average American. They're always, and, and that's because, again, they're buying the next biggest thing. They get a little bit and they go, all right, I got an extra thousand bucks, new TV. <laughs> right? And they don't save it and go, okay, what if, what if something I have breaks? Credit card. <laughs> they just, I got a credit card. I can put it on there, right? That's, that's what we do. That's what our culture does. That's what we've been ingrained into us. That's what we see all the time in our culture. I, I, if you're like me, you probably get all those nice credit card things in the mail. A lot of them in the mail. I get probably six to ten a week of people trying to get me to use their credit card. There's a lot of them out there, and that's just what our culture does. We must be responsible, though, with, God, with what God's given us. I like from FPU, Dave Ramsey would always say, We must live like nobody else so that we can live like nobody else. You have to live, you have to be tight. You can't just spend money like it's going out of style. We have to have a budget, we have to stick to it, and we need to be saving for the future so that in the future, we can live like nobody else. We'll have the money, we can give to churches, we can give to um, outreach ministries, we can give to things because we have it. And we're not just scraping by trying to make our monthly ends meet. So here's some financial priorities. He's got them up there. How much money does it take to meet my current financial responsibilities? Do you know what that is? Do you know currently, your monthly, that's a monthly budget, do you know exactly what you need every month? The number of dollars you need to cover your utilities, to cover all your expenses for the month. Your eating out, whatever you put in your budget, do you know exactly what that amount is? Again, if you don't, hopefully a red flag is going up and you're like, I should know that. I need to figure that out. A really good tool out there, if you don't have one, go to mint.com www.mintmint.com It's free budgeting tool. It's really simple. You can carry it in your pocket. I know up to every minute exactly what's on my budget. If I'm over, I can go, I'm going out to eat. Oh, I'm $3 over this month. Guess I'm not going out to eat. <laughs> going home. It helps you. It helps you. You need to live like that. You need to have a budget. Number two, how much money do I need to save per month for short-term future responsibilities? What are your short-term future responsibilities? Things that you might need the rest of this year. 
Have you thought about those things? Have you thought about, oh man, the car is starting to get a little rickety. Might have to do something work on the car. Have you saved for that? Have you thought about that? Do you have that money available or are you just going to hit that and charge it on the credit card? How much money do I need to save? Prepare for long-term future responsibilities. That's retirement. That's down the road. Health expenses, whatever. Are you tucking something away for that? Do you have it invested? Do you have a 401k? Do you have something like that through your work? You need to be thinking about these things now. You need to be thinking about them now instead of 40 years from now or 10 years from now. Wherever that is in your life, you need to be thinking about it now. And number four, do I have any money left over? If so, would I like to use it for something now or later? That's your last decision. All right, I've, I've think, thought of all these things. Do I have some money left over? Great. That's your fun money. You can save it. You can spend it. But you've thought of all the other things first. A lot of times that's number one. We put that at the top. Oh, do I have any money left over? All right, I'm going to spend it instead of thinking about the other things. All right, number three. But what if I can afford the payments? What if I can afford them? That's what you say. What if I can afford the payments? Unless you're rich, you can't. And that's not just Rich Thatcher. <laughs> unless you're rich. Unless you have a lot of money, you can't afford them. But borrowing money has become a part of our way of life. I, I brought one of our games here from home. It's the new electronic banking monopoly. All right. <laughs> Something you'll notice when you first buy this. The property values are not the same. <laughs> As they used to be. Boardwalk, they're not even on there anymore. It's things like Mall of America, $2 million. <laughs> Something else, $1.5 million. But the thing that gets me, right? When you were younger and you played, you had all the paper money, right? No longer. Credit cards. Credit cards. It's all just on plastic. You don't even, you each have your own little credit card. Someone's the banker, they plug in the card, and boom, it tells you how much money you have. And you can spend a million dollars like that, and you don't even know it. And pretty soon your money's gone. That's how I've always felt about Monopoly. I don't know if you play like I do. If I land on a square, I buy it. <laughs> I don't ever pass unless I just don't have the money. It's not good, but that's how our culture is, right? Let's fill up everything we possibly can use. Let's max out our credit cards because I want that. I want it. And it's interesting because it gets to our kids. I've noticed my kids, they just think that you just put your card in the slot and money's free. <laughs> I can buy anything, but that's too expensive. But your card will pay for it, right? <laughs> Right? I mean, it's, it's the way our culture is moving and it's dangerous. It's dangerous because we don't really understand it and we've got to be careful. We've got to make sure if we're parents, we're teaching our kids the value of money. And it's not just something that you put on a card and you just keep spending until they don't take your card anymore. That's dangerous. Especially with the, the credit limits they give you on most credit cards today. It's way more than you could ever pay back. <clears throat> Here's a, 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 only a stat here. Only 2% of all Americans ever reach the point of being able to live off their financial resources they've accumulated. Only 2%. Only, that essentially means only 2% of Americans are set for retirement. They have the right amount that they're going to need to live for retirement. That's not good. That's not good. We need, to, we need to be sharp on that. We need to be better in that. The Bible and past generations have a very different view on borrowing money than our culture does today. The Bible says this. It says, when we borrow money, we enter into bondage. We enter into bondage. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor. The borrower is servant to the lender. When you go into debt, you're a slave of that lender. You owe them money, and you pay them extra money to borrow that money. You pay interest. When all our resources are consumed and we still need more, we are living foolishly. 
We're living foolishly when we've spent all our money that we've made and we're still spending more than that. We're living foolishly. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A foolish man devours all he has. He's devouring everything and not thinking ahead, not saving a little, so that if something happens in the future or in the future when they can't make it, that they still have it. It says a foolish man devours all he has. Part of the blessing of God is to have an abundance. That's part of the blessing of God. Part of the curse of God is to have to borrow. It's interesting. A couple verses here. I just put these down because they're longer, but I'll read them to you. Deuteronomy 28, 12, and 13 says, The Lord will open to you His good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you shall only go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. It comes with a part there that you have to do. It says you have to obey God's commands and be careful to do them. The other verse there, 43 and 44, Deuteronomy 28, says, The sojourner who is among you shall rise higher and higher above you, and you shall come down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. So we become the tail. We're not the head anymore when we borrow. When we have to take money from people, we, we become lower, and that's not good. The last point here in this section is there is a course of life that God wants for us that results in an accumulation, an accumulation of wealth in every area of life as we go through life. So God says He wants to bless us. He wants us to accumulate money. He wants us to accumulate materials. That's, that's part of it. Proverbs 3, 13 and 16 says this, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs 8.18 says, With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. Proverbs 22.4, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honor and life. Humility and fear. Humility and fear. We have to be humble. We have to fear God. We have to be humble. We have to fear God. He's going to take care of us. We have to believe that. We have to believe, just like he says in, in Matthew 6, but he's gonna, he's, he closed the flowers of the field. He closed everything. How is he not also going to take care of us? He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that in your core? Do you believe that in your core? God has made us to be producers, not consumers. And our culture is a consumeristic culture. It's all about consuming. God hasn't made us that way. He's made us to be producers. So read those verses again. He's made us to be producers. He's made us to bring in the grain and fill our, our store barns full. He's made us to be producers. We have to remember that. We have to get out of this mindset that we're just consumers and we buy everything. We can't buy everything. Alright, now comes to the part that you're really going to love. You're probably going to check out if you're not like me. Hopefully not. I'm going to give you some examples here. I'm going to give you some numbers. I'm going to give you some numbers so you think about a little bit when it comes to debt. Consumer debt in the U.S. divided by population. How much do you think it is? For every, every person on a credit card, every person that owns a credit card, what do you think the average amount people have on their credit card is today? 1500 15000 15000 Gosh, I hope not. The average is $5,047. $5,047 writing month to month on your credit card. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. 
Here's some statistics about that, and you'll realize why that's a lot of money here in a minute. Um, let's let's take this example. I'm gonna we're gonna go in between those numbers of 15 and five. We're gonna go a little bit over that. So an average credit card holder carries $8,220 from balance month to month. So you're just gonna leave that on your credit card. You're, you're paying the interest rate on that credit card. I, I took an average here. They're all over the place. It depends on your credit. It depends on your credit card company. It depends on all kinds of stuff. But the average rate somewhere around 15.3%. That's, that's what it, when I researched it online, that's what it looked like. According to the Federal Reserve, they have a neat little calculator on there that you can put in and it'll tell you. Uh, the Federal Reserve, a minimum payment of, um, on that, on that $8,220 carried at 15.3% is $165 a month. $165 a month you have to pay. That's the minimum, bare minimum. You can't pay any less than that. It's gonna take you 31 years to pay off that credit card at a cost of $21,520. All right, so you put $8,220 on it, and it's gonna cost you $21,000. By the time you're all done paying it off with the interest in there, $21,520. That's a lot of money that you just wasted <laughs> on a, putting your money on a credit card. That means essentially you pay, for every $1 item you buy, you spend a dollar, it costs you $2.62. So instead of paying $1, it's $2.62. So. Just let's get back into practical here. If you buy a, let's say you're a guy, you go to the hardware store, oh, I need that tool. I buy that tool, right? It's on sale. Woo! Or you're a girl and you buy a dress or a nice pair of shoes, it's on sale, all right. It was $120, but this week only, it's $100. Right, $100 this week. So you're like, I'm gonna save 20 bucks. This is a great deal. You put it on your credit card. You pay it off with the minimum payment. Right, you don't, you don't pay it off that month when the bill comes. You don't pay the $100, you just leave it on there and you pay the minimum payment. By the end of it, you're going to end up spending $262 for that tool, or that dress, or that pair of shoes. So you saved $20 the month you bought it, and you lost $162 by leaving it on your credit card and paying the minimum payment. Is that smart? Does anybody think that's smart? Does anybody go, I need that dress? <laughs> no, you go, I don't need it. You would, if, if you saw the price tag on it and it was $262, you go, Put it back on the rack and walk away, right? You put the tool back on the shelf and you'd walk away. You wouldn't spend $262 on something you knew was only worth $100. You wouldn't do it. But we don't, we don't think that. It gets us and we just don't notice it. We just pay the month of payment, pay the month of payment, pay the minimum payment, and we just keep moving. It costs you a lot. You've got to think about it. Americans, as of June 2013, that's the last um, numbers that got released that are out right now, Americans have $853.6 billion dollars on revolving credit. $853.6 billion on revolving credit. Revolving credit means credit cards, essentially. On credit cards, that's how much Americans have on their credit cards as of June. It's come down slightly over the last couple months, but it, it is not, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. All right, so here's another fun one. Let's talk about cars. You wanna buy a car. How to get cars at half price. You say, sign me up, sign me up. I'll get a car at half price, all right, well, I'll tell you how. It's not that hard when you, when you run the numbers out and you think about it. So let's say you get a $20,000 car loan. You need $20,000 for a car loan. Again, interest rates are all over the place depending on how good your credit is, which is another odd thing, but let's say 6%. You can get a car loan at 6%. That might be a little high. It seems like it's a little lower today, but um, yeah, I, I was trying to average the numbers I could find. So you take that out for five years. It, costs, it ends up costing you $23,200 $23, with payments of $387 a month. 
Alright, so you're going to make payments of $387 a month for five years to get this $20,000 car paid off, which ends up costing you $23,200. You're like, ah, oh, for the nice of not working over, not having to pay over five years and have my car now, I'll pay the $3,200. Okay, well, that's, that's a choice. Well, let's take that money that you could. Let's say you don't buy a car. You make your other car last somehow. You pour oil in it more often. You, whatever you have to do to keep your other car going. Uh, you run the wheels off your other car, essentially. So you take that, instead of paying that $387 a month into your car loan, you, you take it and you take a 12% return. That's what that's Dave Ramsey's magic number. If you've taken FPU, 12% return. He says you can get that, and it's just because a lot of times the market's higher, a lot of times it's slower, but you can most of the time over, over a good chunk of years, five to 10 years, you can make an average of 12%. So we'll say a 12% return, and you're in the 20% tax bracket, because you're obviously gonna take taxes, you're gonna get taxes taken out of that when you make money on an investment. So you can make, you put that in there for five years, that same amount, you'll end up making $26,434. All right, so $26,434, you've made that money. So the difference between those two of making the extra 6,000 and losing the extra 3,000 is $9,634. Almost exactly half of the cost of that car. Right there, you've made it up, half the cost. You just by investing it over those five years instead of putting it into the car loan, you've made almost $10,000 in half the price of your car. That's how you get a car for half price. You don't pay them to give you the money, you invest it yourself and make the money. Make the money to do it. It's kind of interesting when you think about it. Here's, here's a, uh, a few more numbers I added to this. So put that on a, on a salary. Say you make $50,000 an hourly rate. Your hourly rate's about $25 an hour for that. After tithe, 10%, it's $22.50. And after the 27.5%, that's, that's taxes and Social Security. It's a good number. I mean, it's different depending on what tax bracket you're in. You end up with about $15.63 an hour in your pocket off that $25 an hour. Making up that $9,634 difference difference would take you 616 hours of work. You'd have to work 616 hours, almost four full months to make up that difference. Extra. That's how much extra you'd have to work to try and make up that difference in money. So it's worth it. It's a lot of money. You don't realize it. It's a lot of money. Here's another one, and this one might make some of you sick to your stomachs. (laughs) The price of borrowing for a good education. A lot of us have student loans. A lot of us can't make it through college without student loans, or at least that's our mindset. We have to borrow. It wasn't even the case 30, 40 years ago. You didn't borrow for college. You just didn't do it. It wasn't even around. I don't even think you could get loans for college. Now you can get loans everywhere. It's easy to get a loan, and they'll lend you way more than you could possibly ever pay back. Well, not possibly ever. 40 years from now, you could pay it back. That's a long time. So let's take an example here. Student loan, $30,000, that's low. As expensive as college is today, that's a pretty low number. I know people who have a lot more than that in college and student loans. So 30,000 requires a payment of about $300 a month for 10 years. You're gonna pay $300 a month for 10 years. That's after you've gotten out of college. A lot of things happen in 10 years after you get out of college that you probably would rather be spending your $300 a month on than the college that you got. So you spend that $300 a month for 10 years, it ends up costing you $36,340. All right, so it costs you $6,000 more, $6,340 more than it would have cost you if you just paid cash, okay? Let's do that same thing we did with the one at the beginning. Let's put that in an investment account, okay? Instead of paying for your college loan, you're gonna invest it. You're gonna somehow figure out how to get through college. And I'll tell you, it's possible. 
it's possible to get through college without taking out loans. I did it. I never spent a single dime on college. I, but I did apply for hundreds of scholarships and thousands of scholarships. I spent a lot of time my senior year in high school writing scholarship applications. I wrote a lot. I spent a lot of time during college writing scholarship applications. I worked as an RA on campus. I got my room and board paid for, and I still made money off of that. You can do it. It's just a matter of if you want to do it or not. Do you want to do it? Do you want to get out of school without having? Do you want to take a year off between college and work to make the money? Or not. It's up to you. It's your choice. You do not you do not have to borrow for college. So let's say you didn't borrow for college, alright? You're gonna let's take that same three hundred dollar payment for ten years. You're gonna put it in for the same amount of time it would take you to pay off that loan. You're gonna put it in an investment account again at twelve percent interest. And you're gonna then after that ten years, you're gonna quit putting money into this account. You're done. You're not gonna take anything out, you're not gonna put anything in. You leave it there for another thirty-two years. That thirty-two years is assuming you get out of college and you're not like thirty-five. <laughs> but it gets you to retirement age, alright? Thirty-two gets you to retirement, sixty-five, somewhere in there. So you put it in there, you leave it there for those forty-two years total, right? Ten years you put money in, thirty-two more years where you're not even touching it. The total would be two point six five nine million dollars in that account. So the cost that it cost you to borrow that $30,000 for school is $2,665,490. If you hadn't have spent that money on that loan, that's what you could have when you retire. It's a big difference. Who wouldn't raise their hand and go, I want $2.6 million? <laughs> I'll raise them both. That'd be nice, right? You're pretty much taken care of for your retirement. You're done. Like. All right, because I put $300 in an account monthly for 10 years. That's amazing. That's a lot of money. That's what compound interest does for you when you invest it instead of interest hitting you when you borrow it. There's a big difference. So a couple things. So you go, oh, man, you just, yeah, I did get sick to my stomach. <laughs> right? All right, no, that's all right. God's in control. God can help you with your finances. God can get you out of the mess you're in. He can, but you have to trust Him. Here's a, a couple steps. Quick things that you can do. Number one, commit your financial course to God, His priorities, and His principles. Are you going to commit to live by His priorities and His principles? Are you going to cut down your budget and make it as tight as you can to get rid of the debt that you currently have? Whether it's school debt, whether it's credit card debt, whatever it is. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to go, no, debt is bad, I'm getting out of it as fast as I can. Are you willing to do that? And you need to pray. I need to pray some more. I need to pray some more. I need to pray some more. I need to ask God to help you do that. You need to change your attitude. You need to help you change your attitude about money. It is hard. Like I said, in our culture, we get bombarded with it all the time. Driving to work, the road signs, magazines we read, on the TV, commercials, everything. We're bombarded by, buy, buy, buy. You need this. You need this. But we don't. We don't really need it when we look at it. We need, to, we need to be tied on that. We need to trust Him by His priorities and His principles. Number two, get a good financial counselor. This doesn't have to be someone down at Fidelity or someone like that. Get somebody who's going to help you, somebody who knows finances, somebody whose life you look at and you go, man, they're doing it right. They don't have any debt. They're paying off their bills. They're saving money. Get somebody like that to help you. Sometimes it just helps getting that other perspective to look into your life and go, okay, here's all your bills. What can you do here? Okay, well, you can cut that and you can cut that and you can only spend this much a month on restaurants. You can only go out to eat once a month instead of 40 times a month. I'll cut it right there. Boom. You'll be amazed how much money you have at the end of the month. Things like that. You need somebody who can look into your life and do that. You need to get that outside perspective. Do it. It helps. It will really help you see it 
and see it more clearly. Number three, settle into a long-term plan. Depending on how much debt you have, it could be a really long-term plan. It could be a really short long-term plan because you can get rid of your debt quickly. One of my questions for you is, do you know, can you tell me right now exactly how much you spend a month? Do you know the dollar? I know down to the dollar exactly what I spend every month, what I should spend, what I've budgeted for and have to be under. Do you know that? If you don't have a clue, red flags should be shooting up going, oh man, no wonder I'm in trouble. I don't have a clue what I spend. That's why I'm out. That's why I'm, I'm going into debt, why I'm spending more money and my credit card bill keeps getting bigger instead of smaller every month. You need to figure out, you need to find yourself, so you need to figure out exactly how much you have in your monthly payments and know that number and stick to it. You need to stick to it and not be in denial. If, you're, if the red flags went up, you're probably in denial that you're in trouble. You don't even know that you're spending more than you're, you're making. You need to get those numbers the right way. And then the fourth one, be accountable to somebody. Pick somebody. Have somebody hold you accountable to it. They're going to ask you, hey, how's it going? How'd it go last month? Oh, you were over? Hey, well, let's look at your budget. Let's pull it out again and figure out how we don't do that again. Remember, God's probably going to change you during this time. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's not easy. <laughs> it's not easy. It's a lot easier to put it on the credit card than it is to get it off the credit card. It's a lot easier to put it on a loan than it is to get it off the loan. Because you're paying interest, it takes a lot more time. You have to be willing to know that. That it's going to take time and you have to fight. You can't give up. You have to just keep fighting, keep walking back into it. God wants to work in your life. He wants you to be a different person when it comes to your perspective on money. He does. If you have that bad perspective, He wants you to learn. And, and this area of finances and getting out of it, He's going to challenge you. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but you have to trust Him. Because God does want those things. We have to believe those promises. God wants us to have an enjoyable life. He wants us to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as you're not going into debt to get those nice things. God will provide for you. He will give you exactly what you need. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Ask yourself that question. Pray about that this week. Think about it. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. For this morning, God, we thank you that you are our provider. God, we thank you that you will take care of us. You promised us that many times in the Bible. God, we need to believe your promises. We need to believe that you will provide for us what we need when we need it. God, a lot of times that's hard in our culture today because we just have everything we need. We just work and paychecks come in and we have a lot of what we need, but a lot of times we do put it on credit cards. We put it on loans that we don't think about the consequences of it. We don't think about what, is, what does this mean? How long is it going to take me to pay this off? What am I going to end up paying in the long run? Help us to think about those things, God. We, we don't want to be in debt. We don't, want to be in, we don't want to be slaves to the lender. We want to be in control. and God, you, you can help us to do that. God, we, again, I know there's different situations and rough things happen, but I've seen a lot of people get out of debt in pretty amazing, quick ways because they trusted you with it. They cut down their budgets to the bare minimum and they were uh, $40,000 in debt and out of it in a couple of years because they just trusted you. And they, they lived by your principles, by your word. And they had people holding them accountable. They had people helping them see it from a different perspective. God, help us to do that. Help us to trust you with our finances. God, you have blessed us in amazing ways. God, even as a church here, help, help us to trust you. God, we, we need your provision. We're trusting you for it, God. We're trusting that you're going to do big things. God, help us all, whether it's our personal finances, our church finances, wherever, our jobs, whatever. God, I, I pray you help us to trust you more than we ever have before. God, we do thank you that you're here. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you you're in our midst. And, and I pray this week, God, you would help us to, if we've never taken this look, if we've never looked at our finances in this light, God, I pray you help us to do it this week. 
sit down for an hour and work through and figure out a budget and figure out what we can spend and what we can't spend, figure out exactly how much we owe and uh, how to get out of that debt quickly. God, I, I pray that you'd help us to do that. Just make it a priority in our lives, God, so that we can live like nobody else down the road, that we can give money, that we can come here on a Sunday and, and we need something for an outreach ministry. We can give money because we have it. Because we have it saved. We have it saved for you. God, That's you've blessed us with your money. Help us to bless you with our money. God, we just really do pray that you'd help us to get that mindset. Help us to trust you. God, we ask that you'd bless the rest of our morning. Bless the rest of our week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming this morning. Part three will be next week. Join us for that. Again, if you didn't get the books for small group, they are right back there on the table. If you didn't ever get a workbook, and then there's a vase back there to stick your $5 in. Again, if you can, throw $5 in there. Great. If you can't, we'd rather you have the book than not. So just take one and don't worry about the $5. But thanks again for coming this morning. Have a great week. Sometimes you hate me and